Hello, I'm Laura Serrant, and welcome to my podcast, Speaking for Ourselves. This is one in the series of these podcasts. Speaking for Ourselves is about helping us to listen to the voices and the stories of those that influence us. Speaking for Ourselves is also about listening to our own voice and our own stories and the importance of being heard. In this podcast, I speak with Sarah Sanderson, the co-founder of the When Women Speak Global Network Community Interest Company. It's a stimulating discussion in a whole series of fabulous podcasts by this by this production. In our discussion, we discuss self-leadership, diversity, and our own stories. Listen to our podcast and follow this great CIC company, When Women Speak. Welcome to Stories Worth Telling, a collection of interviews where extraordinary, ordinary women speak sharing experiences and answering three questions on a game-changing moment, something heard that inspired, and what the words When Women Speak say to them. In this episode, I'm joined by Professor Laura Serrant, OBE, a multi-award-winning global diversity and inclusive practice specialist, professional speaker, and experienced coach. You'll be able to tell in this conversation that titles and accolades haven't changed Laura from being down to earth, generous with her time, gracious in her sharing and vulnerable in asking for feedback on her creative journey with poetry. Laura has over 30 years experience of healthcare practice, research, policy development and strategic leadership, including working with a range of national and international government agencies. She is one of the few black female professors in the UK and her commitment to optimising health equity and self-agency is reflected in her determination to support others by actioning the call to lift as you climb. It was a real pleasure to listen to Laura's stories and get to hear a never-before-shared poem called Silences Within. There's something Laura always asks her clients to do and I'm going to ask it of you and invite you to journal the words that arise. Laura asks, listen to silence. What is the voice of silence telling you? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Stories Worth Telling. One thing that I would love to start with um, is to, to ask, when you were invited to be a guest on When Women Speak Stories Worth Telling, what was there an initial story that came to mind or what were your what were your thoughts on being asked to be a podcast interviewee well thank you for the invitation first um the first thing that came to mind was wow you know they want to speak to me um and i suppose when someone says to you you're going to be part of a podcast which is around stories worth telling the first thing is what story have i got that's worth telling you know you immediately feel that you know should I say this? 
should I not say that? So where are you going to kind of focus? And I think particularly where you've actually given free reign really to say what, you know, to speak from the heart or speak from my own kind of position. So that was my first thing. So once I've kind of like wound down a bit from the initial shock, horror and euphoria, <laughs> and that was probably be the three words I would use. I think that certainly I thought about what does it mean for women to speak and what does it mean to have a story worth telling and um, the idea of stories is what guides most of my work professionally and the idea of stories is what guides most of my personal kind of philosophy um, and so I suppose for me it was about really being excited to think that when we're talking about women speaking and we're talking about stories worth telling it really is about having the opportunity to kind of speak for ourselves, which is our, which is, which is a key thing for me in my work. Mm. Oh, I love how, because I, I didn't know that, um, you know, that that was your approach and your philosophy. So how interesting. I love those kind of serendipity type happenings. Yes. That's, yeah. Brilliant. So one of the you've touched on the words when women speak and one of the questions that we ask all of our podcast guests is what do the words when women speak say to you so would you mind elaborating a little bit more on that for us Laura please yes I think um for me when I hear the words when women speak um there's a calmness that comes upon me that the feeling that I get is one of calm and it's one of being able to exhale and think at last here is here is a door opening that vision a door opening saying this is an opportunity to speak as i say for ourselves and from our own position and what it means to me is really around heartfelt stories and what i mean by heartfelt stories they are the stories of self and even though we speak those particularly of women we often speak and tell our stories from our own position and we start to speak from a belief that this is just my own truth. But while we, when we speak and when other people hear our stories, when pe other people hear women speak, it's not just the story of an individual. It's often the story of a community. It's the story of a family. It's the story of an experience, which is often shared. And so that's one thing about, for me, for when women speak, that actually we, we, we speak for ourselves that we speak to the experiences of, pe of many people far beyond our own our own experience the second thing that that strikes me when women speak that it, it is actually about releasing the voice of people who are not usually heard now that's not to say that i think women are completely silenced but i think that often when we look back historically when we look in even in the current when we look in political spaces proportionally the voices of women are less often heard and or less often centralized so that to me is about the the, the heartfelt opportunity to speak and with that opportunity comes responsibility so when women speak is also about responsibility for me so it's about own voice and story it's about releasing those voices and giving um actually telling the stories that are not just our own but are shared with our families communities and others 
and it's about responsibility to take that opportunity to speak. So that's what I think about. Brilliant, brilliant. I love that answer. And what came up for me as you were speaking there was, I wonder what role models you had growing up around, so hearing women speaking um, and whether, and in what, in what environments were those women speaking? Um, could you share a little bit? Yes, I'm, I'm smiling because um, I probably should tell you a little bit about my own kind of personal background. Mm, please. I, which, which, which probably um, may explain quite a few things about me. <laughs> um, <laughs> she said, um, I am the eldest daughter in a large family. Um, and the, in the family, and I, I think I come probably from a typical Caribbean family. My family are from the Commonwealth of Dominica, which is not the Dominican Republic. And it's a very, very small island which sits in the Caribbean between Martinique and Guadeloupe. Um, some of the, yourself and some of the listeners may have heard of um, a year before we, there was when Hurricane Maria um, struck and decimated quite a lot of the Caribbean and South America and the southern parts of the United States. Hurricane Maria, the eye of the storm, sat across Dominica. So that was our position within that. Um, and in that island, you know, my family where I came from, um, we have, so there are five of us who are um, same mother, same father, born, raised, not all born, but raised in the, in the UK. And then there are another three of us who are the same father, not the same mother, who lived in the Caribbean um, and actually also are in the, now spread across um, America, still in Dominica and in, in the UK. So that's relatively typical. Um, I'm in my mid 50s, so that's relatively a typical story. There's nothing atypical about the story. And if the five of us in um, England, I am the eldest daughter. And in the family, I sit in the middle. So everyone before me are brothers and everybody after me are sisters. So although I'm the middle child, literally in the, in the, in the group, as the eldest daughter, I have a position of leadership in the, in the family. Because it's very typical that um, women led not just in the household, Men are the head of the family, but the women are kind of the leaders of the decision makers. The leadership of the family comes from the women, from women. So I was always brought up with very strong women. My mother was a very strong woman, her mother before her, my aunties, etc. And very much my upbringing was one in which women's voices um, dominated. And I was very much brought up to understand that as the eldest daughter, not the eldest in the family, my position was one of leadership. I was, you know, when my mother um, died, I, she died and I became queen, basically, was, was the way it was. So even though my brothers were older and even my father was still there, it was very much then everything was channeled through me. And I was brought up to have that, to have that role of being in charge. I was left in charge, even though I wasn't by age the eldest. So my experience of women speaking was that um, women spoke that they, they basically bossed the house, they, they directed the traffic, you know, they, were, they worked hard both in the home and outside the home. Um, they spoke 
when they had something to say. And when they, my mother very much, if she didn't have anything to say, she would be quiet. But if she, when she spoke, everybody listened, including my father. And so it was that kind of thing. And, and so I was always brought up to stand straight and speak clearly and think what you want and say your truth and speak the truth. Um, and that's not just about being a very small child and you know not telling lies and the usual things that we're brought up with but it was also about speaking for truth and speaking for what's right so very much that was my experience of of, of women very hard working very outspoken in charge um and you know they would defend you to the hill but equally they would put you in the line if you needed to put him in the line <laughs> <laughs> and that's the polite way to put it <laughs> yes I'm laughing because I, re I recognize that <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. small 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 island family as well um my mum's family are from St Kitts oh yeah. well my mum yes yes we've got we've got in-laws and that in from St Kitts and I've been to St Kitts and Nevis actually Happy year. Um, yeah. yes not last year year before there's a very um well now we're very good friend um, called um, June Gishar Pine, um, who runs um, a, lots of development sessions for women in, in the Caribbean, and particularly she's based in St. Kitts and uh, Nevis. And um, she, she ran a seminar series over a week for women in education and business a couple of years ago. And myself and, um, and other um, black women, particularly that were from here in the UK, um, went over to St. Kitts to do some development work with women who were looking at education and women who were running their own businesses in St. Kitts. So I've been to St. Kitts and it's a very, very beautiful island. One of the things that struck me when I went to St. Kitts, and I've been to a, a few of the other Caribbean islands, is that actually, um, you know, the, the position of women and the voice of women in the Caribbean islands is, is so strong. And actually for the women and for the girls growing up there, the, the, you know, the there's not a shortage of positive um, women figures to actually, you know, aspire to and to guide. Um, I mean, in Dominica, um, you know, had um, one of the first, the longest serving female prime minister in, in um, you know, Dame Eugenia Charles. And, you know, she served for, a, a formidable woman served for a, a long time. And again, this is long before, you know, the likes of, you know, here we had Margaret Thatcher, et cetera. This was, you know, this was way before that. Um, and, and I think that the, 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 the example of women from Caribbean is, is very, very strong and um, perhaps a little under, um, underappreciated, if you like, outside of the Caribbean. That's what I was about to pick up on, that um, how interesting that that is the case in the Caribbean. But if I think about experiences in the UK for black women particularly black women that from the Caribbean I've seen women who are in management positions or you know leading um organizations but not really being heard not really you know and struggling to get their voice out there and to be seen as mm. the the capable talented credible women that they are and that's yeah I've, I've found that quite disturbing at times yeah um so do you have any um, stories around that as, as you've kind of, as you, you know, you've said that there you are, um, you knew that you would be a leader in your family and that um, you're in a role to, to, to speak up, speak your truth. How have you found that outside 
of uh, your immediate community? I would say that's something that I have grown into um, because, it, because again, at the same time as having that message of speaking out, speaking your truth within the family, there's also that message of when you go to school, you're there to learn. So you're not there to, you know, you're not there to answer the teacher or contradict or anything else. You're there to learn. That's why I send you to school. I'm, I'm now sounding like my mother. That's why I send you to school. And um, so the, the idea of challenging authority is not necessarily one that um, that I was brought up with, but there was also that 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 balance between. But if you know something is right, then stand your ground. You know, you might not have the power to change it, but at least make them know. You know that you don't go home and think, "I wish I'd said that" or, or the other. So I think, but for me, it was actually so. There was this walk in the line all the time of trying to work mm. out when are you supposed to speak and when are you not supposed to speak and that and it wasn't something that I was very well mastered at I mean I tended certainly when I was younger to kind of definitely open my mouth before I engage my brain half the time um, <laughs> I don't think I ever had a report that didn't say Laura is quite talkative um, but but it but I think what I in my experience what I learned was that nobody was going to ask me I think that's the thing that struck me because I was I was waiting to be asked when I first you know I, I trained as a nurse and I, I went to university and again there was that dichotomy in the university where where I was where I was that actually you were brought up to be critical the whole in the written word in the spoken word is to look at the evidence to critique it to challenge and to present an argument based on evidence but then in nursing practice, when I went into practice, the rule was just do as you talk because this is the way we do it. So again, once again, I was in that balance of, of the critical inquiry and the critical bit which fed my brain and then actually being able to say, well, how do I manage this in a practical sense in work to actually say, well, actually, I don't really think that's right. And I think that's where the thing that struck me the most in a, in a practical sense when I was nursing was the sense of in, inequality. And I didn't know that that's what it was called. You know, so I wasn't, I didn't grow up thinking about inequality in that sense. But the thing that I did grow up with a very strong sense of, that, that people should have an equal chance. That was the thing that I, that, that I grew up with, that actually, that if you, if you worked hard or you did what you, then things should come to you. No, nothing was going to be given to you, but if you worked hard, then you, you followed the rules, then A plus B equals C. And so it was very much about an equal chance, but it was down to your effort. So the thing that struck me a lot when I was in, um, in a health setting was how, seeing how we had people came to the same hospital, to the same ward, with the same condition practically, because obviously different wards have people, you know, all the diabetics were on a ward, or people like that were all on a ward, et cetera. So um, people came with, so you would think that would be equal chance. Same yeah. nurses and doctors, same conditions, same city, same hospital, same ward. And yet some people came, were treated, went and flew and never were seen again other people were in the revolving door coming back constantly and I couldn't understand it and that's when it, it struck me that sometimes people got different care sometimes people weren't able to sometimes people weren't able to say I can't do that or I can't afford that or if 
you know, if you give me a prescription, it costs X pounds to buy the prescription. If I'm, you know, if I'm making a choice between feeding my family and buying this prescription, I'm going to feed my family. And so that's when the inequality of the, the, the context outside the hospital struck me. And that's when I realized that people didn't have an equal chance of health. And actually, because of my experience of growing up in relatively a poorer, um, you know, less affluent, more poor, poor poverty area, I understood a lot of the things that were not being said by patients and families. But if I didn't kind of speak up for them, then that story would never get out. And then actually, um, there was a mismatch between them not the story not coming out and then the assumption that actually all we needed to do was just treat everybody the same. And so I think that was what struck me then. And that's, that's where I learned to find my voice. Um, and I would say I found my voice in that space. And then even though I was shaking in my boots and even oh. though sometimes people, you know, the, the, the sister or the staff nurse would say to me, no, that's not what we're doing or how dare you speak up. But I felt that I had, it was a compulsion to speak and to speak for people who I didn't think could speak for themselves. Yes, yeah. And what I'm hearing in that is almost that some of the assumptions are made before. So because the assumptions have been made, certain questions aren't then asked. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's also as well, it's a little more complex than just an assumption. I think there, is a, there's a, there, there was something about not knowing the story. Mm, okay. you know, there's yeah. something about not knowing the story. And because, they, because the story is untold, therefore we fill the gap with what we believe to be true. Um, a good example of that is that if you think about ourselves when we are children, when we're children, we, be, we believe the world is whatever our world is, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. The world is how our world is. And sometimes it's only when we first, the first time we leave our homes, which usually is the first time you go to school, etc., or nursery these days or whatever, that's the first time you meet people who are outside of your family. Yeah. So that's the first time you see that what is normal and usual for people is different from your normal and usual. And I think the same thing happens in relation as you go through different layers, whether it's moving to school, moving to university or college or leaving home, moving to work, the world of work. You, but you, there's something subconscious that makes you believe that that story is the uniform story. And you don't, you don't have anything else to fill it with. You know, you don't have anything else to fill it with. So unless that information is given to you, whether it comes through a book written, whether it comes through talking to someone and hearing a different opinion or a different experience, there's nothing. So you, you, you fill it with your own truth or with your own, ex, what you've already, what you already know. So there's a gap there. And that's where the assumption comes from. It, it, it comes from a lack of information or awareness or sometimes acceptance that there's a different story. Yes. Yeah. Because sometimes in that, acceptance of there being a different story if um that um brings up um any kind of injustices or you know things where um it's like mm, yeah some unsavory <laughs> yeah <laughs> then people don't want to look there it's like no it's almost like it um yeah would rather invalidate or deny 
than than be open to take a look it's true we've all got those we've all got those we've all got this is why i describe it to people is um we've all got though one of those drawers in our houses in our kitchen or in nothing in our sideboard where everything just goes in the drawer <laughs> yeah one of those drawers that whatever you're looking for you know it's probably in that drawer but also when somebody knocks on the door and you're not expecting it's the drawer you could just throw things in to make everything look tidy and one day we're all going to tidy that drawer out and one day we're going to sort we're going to but actually we 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 never do because we know if we start pulling things there'll be things in there that we've forgotten there'll be things we've got to deal with things we've got to unravel and it's just going to be all too much of a job so it's easier just to keep it closed just to keep it closed because if you open it you have to deal with it and yeah. sometimes we don't always have the answers to do those things um it it, it it's kind of the simple way i i have a um one of the concepts that i work around that i've developed is something i call screaming silences and screaming silences really are the personal experience bit of the, the drawer in the kitchen or the cupboard under the stairs is the other place where we find <laughs> things, you know, where we throw in. And if we are going for something, we just kind of put our hand in and grab the thing that we want and we don't look at anything else that's in there. And screaming silences are about experiences or stories or realities that are true because they, they exist but actually we don't talk about them or we pretend or we go on or we make plans or rules or laws or decisions as if those things don't exist. Mm. And the more that we ignore them, so they're silent, then we don't hear about them, they're silent. But the more that we ignore them, the louder the silence becomes until it starts to scream, until it's so obvious we can't ignore it anymore. So you get to a point where you can't fit anything else in the drawer. So you have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens sometimes with um, inequality. That's what happens with, with people's when, when, when someone's been back in the hospital 20 times and you're thinking, well, they should have only come once for this. You have to actually open the drawer and go, why is it this person is coming back where they've had the same treatment. They left here in the same condition as we, you know, they, they said they could cope. And yet here we are again, it's the 20th time that this person is back. Then you have to open the drawer. Then you have to address the silence and say, what is it that we don't know? What are we not listening to? What is it that this person is telling us when they're not, that they're not speaking about? So what's the noise between the lines? And that's where the screaming silences comes from. And that's those stories within that's you you've got to find a way to get that story out because that's the thing that makes the difference i would love to know as we move on to another question whether i mean it might be that this was potentially a screaming silence for you we'll see but what have you come to realize that could be described as a game changer It, it, it is all linked. The game changer for me is realizing that our stories of ourselves are our power. So if when we're younger, or certainly when I was younger, you know, um, and certainly when I think about my parents, they spent a lot of time 
assimilating into English culture or trying to assimilate, not in the house, but certainly when they're out, out of the house. And what I realize is that rather than trying to um, blend and be like my friends, that actually my power lies in my own personal story. And that was the game changer. The game change, that was where the game changer came. And it was the, and, and the first time it struck me was, um, I've, I've always been an avid reader from being very small. I read very early, I've always been an avid reader. And there was a book, believe it or not, that I read, for the first time I read this book, I was eight years old and I didn't understand it. And I reread the book when I was 16, only because i would not read it for a long time. I thought, oh, I'm gonna read this again. Okay, and suddenly, one fr the phrase that jumped out of the page at me was, the personal is political. And that book was The Women's Room by Marilyn French. And I'd read that many times, and I'd read it from the age of eight, I just read past it and whatever, and when I read, but suddenly it struck me that what it's saying is that what happens to me, my story, is the point. It's not the thing to be worked around, or whatever, but that's the point which actually will affect and drives my thinking either to, to challenge it or to be different or to be the same or do more of. It's my point of reference. And so, and it's solidly mine. And so that, that's where the idea of that our stories within are our power. So all I have to do in the simplest way is to just be me and be the best me. I don't have to be anything more than that. And from there, the strength comes from there. Mm. Oh, I, find, I find that fascinating um, because one of the things that I talk about is that our stories although unique and like you say they create um the sort of landscape the different the vivid pictures that we see that they're also not fixed in the sense of they don't have to define who you are no um so could you just uh, say a little bit more about that because i was um yeah just wondering they're not they're not and i don't mean that that they are not they are they are part of who we are but they're almost like our central reference point they're our reference point they're not our roadmap. ah uh, yes yeah yeah nice, nice. so who we are and where we came from doesn't it, it's made us who we are thus far but it doesn't define who we are from this point onwards. But actually it's a reference point. And that's why I say that what's happened to you and the thing, and it's not just what's happened to you personally, but it's what you've experienced through other people, what you've seen, what you've read, what you've heard, what you've felt, what you've absorbed, all those things are your reference point, which you carry around with you. And they are the things that we subconsciously, and I think women do this really well, we subconsciously always do a sense check. And when I say, I just need a sense check here, and the sense check for me is right. I'm just checking out with you what's happened and saying from my point of view, from my internal reference point, this is what I'm thinking, but I'm checking out with, you've got a different internal reference point. Is that, am I on the right track here? Am I, you know, am I, is there another point of view? Is there something else? And that's a roadmap that then will help guide me to make a decision. 
because ultimately we have decisions to make. We make them every day. We make them every hour. We make them in the long and the short term. So it doesn't define who we are. It's not a blueprint, but it's a reference point. It's almost like having a compass and go, well, this is where I am now, but I can go in any direction. Yeah. And that, what, that was the game changer for realizing that the, the compass I was looking for was internal. Yes. It wasn't, yes. There wasn't another cupboard where the answers all lay. <laughs> the compass is internal. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Yes. Decisions, therefore, can only be met, you know, only happen based on the lens that's the understanding, the story, the way you're at at that exactly. moment, which is why it's so. I love what you're saying there about. Um, yes a reference point but you can look at other perspectives you can you can it's almost like um stretching what you know and being open to for that story not to be so fixed and solid that um yes that's it's the compass um and therefore that's the kind of the lens you're seeing things through yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's not going to be the same lens for somebody else. No, absolutely not. Because the context is key. So this is why it's not a blueprint, because the context is key. And the context is your location in time at any given point. That's what the context is. Mm. So and the context in which we are. So let, let me give you an example. If I go back to the example I talked about reading the women's room, eight-year-old me reading the women's room, okay, it was a storybook, a book I read with a story in it. And at eight years old, there was things in the book that struck me at eight. I could read it perfectly well, but words passed me by. Some words passed me by because in my context of my eight-year-old self, there were not words that would have struck a chord with me they were were not words that related to an experience i'd had they were not words that related to even anything that i'd seen on the television because i weren't i wasn't allowed to watch the tv after seven o'clock <laughs> yeah. so, things that happened after the watershed and anybody who's read the women's room will know there's a lot of things that happen after the watershed in that book and <laughs> i wouldn't be you know it was over my head 16 year old me reading that same book had a different reference point. And 16 year old me had been through secondary school. So I was much more aware of things like positioning, things like how many people in my class looked like me, things like whether the girls got, whether the girls had to wear skirts in PE when it was freezing cold and the boys were allowed to wear trousers. 16 year old me had a different reference point. 16 year old me could see that while we all had a school uniform, some people's school uniform was the same uniform they'd be wearing from the first year at 11. And other people had a brand new blazer every year. So 16 year old me read the same words, but the context of the time where I was meant that those words impacted me differently. Yes, yeah. And the only thing that had changed was time because it was still me, it was still the same book, living still at home but time and experience had changed that and I think one of the things that I say to to women when I because I, I do uh, coaching with women one of the things I say to women I'm coaching is 
when people are going back and going, oh, I wish I'd done this, shoulda, woulda, coulda, as my mother would say, you know, and Beverly Knight, the last words of a fool, but the shoulda, woulda, coulda bit is, at the time, at any point in time, when you make a decision, you make, you all, you, you have to gift yourself the belief that you made the best decision for you at that point with the information that you had. My partner, he, he, he says now, he said, you never make a bad decision because at the time you make what you believe to be the best decision with all the information that you've got. No one's going to sit here and go, do you know what? I think I'm going to make a decision that's really going to make my life difficult and that I'm really going to hate, that's really going to upset me and actually that's not going to work out anyway. Hmm. <laughs> you know, nobody does that. You know, people may want to have different options, but with the information, the options and the opportunities they have, you make the best decision. And then in time, when things move forward, you look back and you go, I really shouldn't have done that. But that's hindsight. And that's you in a different context making that judgment. So gift yourself the, the, the opportunity to say, do you know what? I did the best that I could do at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely. It can, it can, only, it can only happen that way based like you say based on the understanding the context yes. right there and then it it, it it's it wouldn't have happened another way and for all of the the hindsight story you know conversation it's like well yeah it, it just <laughs> when you do the hindsight thing that just adds different evidence to your compass to your to your armory that you have so at this when you're at your next compass point you have that evidence information experience to inform your decision yeah yeah well you've touched on a book which might be the book that, that uh, is the answer to the next question i know we're fast running out of time so i'm gonna i, I will i'm gonna ask you our third question which is what have you seen or heard that's left an impression on you so it could be that book or it could be something else a film a poem um, a speech so if you could just yeah tell us the things that strike me most are usually um are usually books because i i'm a, i'm i'm much more of a reader than a watcher of tv i've never quite understood the pictures the cinema I, I have been to the cinema and i do enjoy the film but i kind of think well why would i go out and sit in a row with people not looking at them and all staring in one direction it just isn't there but anyway books i like because <laughs> I kind of get into the book and I, and I mentioned um, when you when I was thinking about this I was thinking oh there are a series of books that have influenced me um, and, and Marilyn French in the women's room is one um, the um, other is one of them is again around the idea of equal chance and the idea of inequalities the, the book that struck me first around that was when I read Animal Farm for example and that, that whole phrases in books stick out with me so within Animal Farm the phrase that you know all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And that is the, the, the phrase that really reflects to me this idea of that, you know, that equal chance doesn't happen by chance. It happens, you know, that actually that the human condition is one of inequality and it's what we do to rebalance that that makes a difference. But I think the book that I would probably, um, it's not one book, but I suppose one author, poet, writer, orator, all-round absolute phenomenal woman for me is um, Audrey Lord. 
um, you know, and her, her when I, you know, read essays and plays, uh, readings by her, but her work, Sister Outsider, is the one that, that struck me most. And the reason is because it talks about the importance of speaking, that the, 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 the damage that silence, not speaking or having your voice silence can actually do. Um, and I read a lot of her, her work, um, particularly in my teen years, but also up to me when I was doing my PhD and, and um, the whole idea of screaming silences came out of reading her works and listening to um, voices of, of people. And what, I, what I've learned from Audre Lorde is one, the importance of using your voice well. So if you, for, for example, like me, have had um, the privilege of being in spaces where I have been asked my opinion, where I can influence um, um, students, individuals, communities, groups, organizations, then to use my voice well and wisely in order to um, not only speak, liberate those who don't have the voice to speak, who, are, who haven't had the opportunity to sit where I'm sitting to say what needs to be said, but also to enable other people to speak. And it's all that lift as you climb. For me, the idea of lifting as you climb is important that, you know, it, it's not enough for me to be sitting in that space as a woman, as a black woman, as an academic in places. I have to ensure that as I go through a door that I find a way to wedge it open for somebody else. Um, and so for Audre Lorde, it was that very, the, the very importance of having silenced and marginalized voices heard for whatever reason people are marginalized, whether it's on gender, whether it's on sexuality, whether it's on e economic grounds. Um, and so it was the importance of speaking that, that, that I got from that and the importance of stories and voice from Audre Lorde. Fantastic. And how very appropriate for, <laughs> for this conversation as well, which is... <laughs> which is great I also know that you write poetry yes I do yes I do it's my way of um sometimes I I know that my brain goes very fast and there's always lots and lots of things going on in it um and sometimes I need to download my brain like you do a computer I need to download it so that I can think about something else or to focus on one thing and I find that uh, poetry is one way in which I can download um, either thoughts or views or reactions or reflections or whatever so that's what what I do so um, I do journal but when I journal I I don't enjoy what I've done today I tend to brain dump <laughs> in a journal and often it comes out sometimes it's prose but often it comes out as uh, poetry. Laura do you happen to have anything that you could share uh, with us your written your written voice my written, even even if it is that kind of just <laughs> i've been thinking about the idea the idea i that one of the hashtags that i use on a lot of my social media and a lot of my work around this idea of speaking and silence is silence speaks that's what i think and um i was reflecting on what that actually means um about the importance of, of people and women particularly um, telling their stories about as a source of their power and how you need to release that silence within you and it's almost like I need to let it out in order to let my brain 
kind of go down. And I was looking through, thinking about some of the things that women had said to me, or not just women, but people had spoken to, said to me about one of the questions I ask in coaching, in speaking to women is, when you listen, listen to your, listen to silence, just be quiet and listen. What do you hear? What is the voice here telling you? And I started to note some of those down so I could, and, and they came out as a little poem, just a few, so I can read that to you if that helps. That would be fantastic. Yes, please. So the poem's called Silences Within. Okay. When I heard my own silence, I forgave myself for staying. When I heard my own silence, I took a deep breath and whispered, you're okay. When I heard my own silence, I remembered my worth. When I heard my own silence, I stopped saying yes when I really meant no. When I heard my own silence, I gave myself permission to relax. When I heard my own silence, I knew it wasn't my fault. When I heard my own silence, I realized my own strength. When I heard my own silence, I let go. When I heard my own silence, I found my voice and began to speak of my pain. When I heard my own silence, I exhaled. Oh, yeah, that, it's beautiful. It reminds me of the busyness that we can easily latch onto because of not wanting to listen to that silence and what what may arise in doing so yes mm. yeah i would love just to finish on um asking you to share a little bit about what you're engaging in and that you're excited about you'd like to, to share I'm engaging in is doing a lot more um professional speaking so a lot more um speaking and developing my own i've always done some coaching but developing much more of my own coaching work and, and uh, business a lot more speaking around the idea of silent speaks and I'm working with a really dear friend and a really good colleague that I met at the um, Amazing Women, business, uh, Women in Education and Business that I spoke about at St. Kitts um, called Ross Thornton. And she runs an annual award called Amazing Women Global. And we are planning, um, and this is hot off the press early, early plans, so you're <laughs> um, We are planning um, an event for next March, hopefully which combines her work around Amazing Women Global and my work around um, kind of health and health equity particularly. And we're actually um, going to do Amazing Women, an event um, where we'll be calling for nominations, et cetera, about amazing women in health and care. Um, because this year, particularly, as you know, we've had the COVID, um, we're still in the COVID um, challenge. Um, it, it, 2020 was 
or is the year of the, the global year of the nurse and midwife and lots of events were, were planned it's the 200th anniversary of the birth of Florence Nightingale and the two and the anniversary of Mary Seacole too so there's lots to, and lots of things have got put on the back burner so we're thinking of going coming together and actually planning a hopefully a, a getting spot, a sponsored event to celebrate women contributing to health and social care during this time so and there'll be lots of categories within that so hopefully um i can come i can tell you more about it later but we're planning that for next march so watch out and watch out about this but if anybody wants to know more about it then um you know there will be ways they can contact me through any of those media to do so so i'm excited about that i'm excited about developing much more coaching um, and particularly for women in groups and organizations and i'm excited about doing much more um professional speaking um mc and all that those kinds of things so i'm excited for those things too fantastic oh thank you and i def definitely would love you to come back on the the show purely because i just feel that we've only just you know touched scratch the, the surface you know i, I want to i want to hear more stories um uh, from you so please definitely come back <laughs> it, would, it would be great and that the poem that i read to you nobody else has heard that so you're so it'd be good to hear from yourself and anyone listening what their the views are and thoughts on that i'm kind of still umming and ahhing as to whether i should um you know publish my poems or so you know etc i'm still thinking about that so any feedback or any thoughts about that i'll be happy to hear fantastic brilliant thank you so much laura for to for this um conversation i've really enjoyed it thank you stories are worth telling not to define us comfort us or dictate a particular path their sharing illuminates an objectified world where we so innocently lose our way without holding on to your story who would you be what could happen? In each seeming moment, there's potential. Everything arising and yet with no beginning nor end. What if in telling the stories we've clung to so tightly, the space in which they all arise becomes more obvious? story set free, who you are is revealed, and that open, real and honest expression of life you are shines in the world.